Have your Bibles. We'll be reading to begin with from Matthew 27, beginning with first and second verse. This sermon is going to be a little bit different. I'm going to give you a lot of biblical background, a lot of history. Uh, so I'm going to need you to stay with me. I'm going to go ahead and give you the four points right up front, and then I want you to just really try to engage me as much as you can uh, this morning uh, as we look at the amazing grace of Palm Sunday or Triumphal Entry Sunday. Uh, millions of people today are gathering to celebrate this special time. And through history, millions upon millions of people, Christians have come together to celebrate and to worship and to remember the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. Uh, we call it Palm Sunday today. It's kind of the Salvation Awareness Week, so to speak. And as we look at this, uh, I think it's important that we remember who Christ is and why He came. Uh, you know, when I was a young child, um, you know, I always wondered, why did Jesus have to die? And we know why He had to die as far as theology goes, as, why, as far as the concept of salvation goes. But why did the people that day and age, why did they feel the need to kill Him? Why, why did, in fact, did they have Him killed? And I think there are some things that we can understand a little better if we'll uh, look and, and grasp it from what they were trying to accomplish. Uh, first of all, Realize there are always two roads uh, that lead into every, in, in every city. And we'll see the two roads that lead into Jerusalem. There are two roads in life which, from which we all must choose. There's the road of Christ or there's the road of self. We can try to do it our way, in our own manner, in our own uh, instigation, uh, in our own method. Or we can go the way of Christ. The people of that day, the religious leaders that we see according to to um, uh, Matthew chapter 27. And let's read those two verses right there. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. So they bound him and led him away and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. They came to the decision, Jesus needs to die. First reason was because he was not only diminishing, he was demolishing their power. He was pulling away from their authority. He was deconstructing their religion, so to speak. He had made statements like, I am the Father of one. I am the way, truth, and life. You only come through Christ through me. And every time they tried to trick him, every time they tried to put him on the spot, he defaced them. And they had tried and tried, and he was, in a sense, de tearing apart their social system. They were the authorities. They were the Jewish religious. They were the established authorities of the Jewish people. Of course, they were under the Roman dominion. But now Jesus is discrediting them. And so because of the sake of power, they seek to kill Him. They had a method of deliverance. You, are, you come to God. You experience so-called the Jewish uh, concept of heaven through the temple and through the law and through the priest. And Jesus has come and said, it's by grace. He comes and says, you might have eternal life through the Son, through me. He has, in a sense, castigated their deliverance system. The image. They had an image. When people saw them, they go, boy, there's our leaders. Boy, there's the holy men. There they are. And he, in a sense, deconstructed their image. He shed light on who they really were. The promise that they made that if you will pay your, 
your taxes or if you will pay your temple fees and if you will obey all the laws, then it will be okay for you. But you must do it our way. And Jesus comes and gives a promise and He says, He who seeks to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will find it. It is only through the Son. It is only through me. This is the promise that I make you. So the Bible tells us that they sought to kill him. They couldn't kill him themselves because it was against the Roman law and the Romans were in charge. So they bound him and took him to Pilate. You see, the first reason was about power. Now, in order for us to really understand that, we need to understand a little bit about the history of that day and age. And if you'll remember, Julius Caesar has conquered most of the known world. Anything that amounted to anything, Julius Caesar had, had conquered it. But then, through a series of events, of course, he's killed. And his stepson, who he adop, adopted, Octavian, becomes the Caesar. And when uh, Octavian becomes the Caesar, he's actually quite successful as far as empires go. I mean, he was the ruler of the entire empire and, and uh, the inventor of a salad. And so Caesar here is a big-time guy. And he uh, kind of goes to his head a little bit. And he takes on the title of Caesar Augustus. Does anybody know what Augustus means? It means divinity, divine. Caesar, the divine. He equated himself. Matter of fact, he said that he was the incarnate Son of God come to reign on earth. And he intended and felt like he would reign eternally, forever in the kingdom. Matter of fact, there was a popular slogan that he propagated that he would yell out and they would yell back to him or sometimes his leaders, his general. He would say, Caesar is Lord. And the people would cry back, Caesar is Lord. He had another one. He would say, he said, there is no other name under heaven by which man may be spared, less the name Caesar. In other words, if there is any mercy to be given, it will be through Caesar. He even had a celebration of his birth, 12 days of Advent of Caesar. Had a whole, uh, he had a whole uh, liturgy of worship. And matter of fact, if you had trespasses or debts or something that you needed forgiven, you could come and on, make a sacrifice before Caesar in honor of him, and he might forgive your debt. He had this whole divinity thing going on pretty good. He called himself, I am King of kings and Lord of lords. Sound familiar to you? But then Caesar died and kind of put a damper on his whole divinity thing and ruled forever. And uh, then his next son, Tiberius, came into power. Tiberius comes into power. And he's the one who's in power while Jesus has his ministry. And, uh, and when Jesus dies... And in that day and age, when you wanted to uh, show yourself as the Caesar, when you wanted to show yourself as the power, all-powerful, when it, it was very difficult because he had such a vast kingdom. It spread all the way from India to England. And, I mean, at best, it took about four weeks by horse ride to get to the furthest parts of his kingdom. So what they would do and what Caesar Augustus did, in fact, was he minted coins and he put his image on there when the inscription Caesar Augustus Caesar the divine and you would see his picture on there now for the Jews this was a huge deal because they looked at that and they thought Caesar's not God we know according to Deuteronomy 6 4 
that hero here, Israel, the Lord God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. There's only one God. We can't worship Him. But yet, the currency of that day, if you were to pay your Roman taxes, if you were to do business with the Romans and their commerce, of which you were required to do, you had to use their currency. And it said, Caesar Augustus. Huge debate for the Jews. Huge issue for the Jews. Because it, for many of them, the Orthodox Jews, they looked and they thought, this goes in direct contradiction to the first two commandments. What are the first two commandments? Well, the first one is this. It is this, that you shall have no other gods before me. The second one, and you shall worship no graven images. They're thinking, it says Caesar's divine. He's not God, and I'm not going to take that graven image. I'm not going to take that. And so there was a huge debate, but the problem was this. You see, if you did that, if you did that, the Jews would say, well, you don't really love God. You're really not in keeping with His covenant. But if you didn't do it, you see, Caesar, he didn't take very kindly to rebellion or insurrection. And they had a new thing called the cross. Uh, when you were known as an insurrectionist, that they would crucify you. So it was a huge debate amongst the Jews about what should we do? We have to live in this land. They are our oppressors. But Caesar thinks he's divining, has this coin. That's, we can't use that. Remember the story in uh, Matthew 22, verse 15 through 22? Try to trick Jesus with this. This is one of the great debates. And they said, we're going to get him. So one, a couple of the, the uh, religious lawyers go to Jesus and they think, we got him now. Because if he, we're going to ask him the question, what should we do about Caesar's tax? Should we pay it? And if he says yes, then we'll, tell, we'll discredit him and say, you're breaking the first two commandments. How can you call yourself a rabbi? How can you call yourself a righteous man? But if he doesn't, we'll turn him in to the Romans and they'll get rid of him for us. So this is a foolproof plan. So they go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, um, you know, you're a great teacher, great man, great rabbi. Uh, we got a question for you, though. Here's a question for you. Um, the, you know, the, the tax, the Roman tax. What, what should we do that? Should we pay Caesar his tax or not? And Jesus, so wise, so masterfully, says, um, does anybody have a coin? And one of them, here's a coin. Duh. <laughs> so one of them has the coin. Don't you know one of them? You got a coin. I can't believe you pulled a coin out while he was asking for one. And so they've already broken their own law here. They're carrying the coin themselves. And he's got a coin, and he's, you know, Doofus has given him the coin here. And um, he looks at it and he goes, Whose inscription's on here? He goes, Caesar's. Given to Caesar what is Caesar, unto God what is God's. Wasn't that masterful? Because what he's saying, he said, you know what? The Romans have been established as your government. They are your authority, so pay them the tax that is owed. But give to God the glory. You don't give Caesar the divinity. You don't give him the glory. You pay his little tax. It's his coin. Let him have it. But give the glory to God. You know, and they got tired of that. And so then we get to, then we get to Matthew 27 and they go, Wait, let's just kill him. My goodness, we can't do anything with him. Matter of fact, John chapter 12, verse 19, uh, one of them says after the triumphal entry at this time says, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world is following him. The power. It's being taken away from us. The people are looking at Jesus. We've got to do something about this. The deliverance. He's coming up with His own way. 
Matter of fact, we know from Matthew chapter 22, verse 1, we know that the Passover is occurring right here. And there's another guy who's ultimately in power here, you know, of Judea. Ultimately, or originally, uh, after this land has been conquered, uh, you have one of two ways that you can rule over your conquered lands. You can take somebody and make them basically a vassal state or making them a puppet uh, leader for you. And he had tried that with Herod Archelaus, but he had kind of messed things up, so he had to bring Pilate in. And Pilate is a Roman governor. And Pilate, we know from history, is actually a pretty ruthless guy. And his main job is to keep peace in Judea and in Jerusalem. He actually lives over off the Mediterranean in Caesarea. And it's a beautiful place over there. They had gymnasiums. They had pools. Uh, they had a, a climate almost kind of like San Diego. I mean, it was a beautiful place. Lots of vegetation and greenery. They had theater. But every year during this time, the Passover is occurring. And 200, scholars estimate as many as 200,000 Jews would converge on the city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So during this time, Pilate has to leave his nice climate. He has to leave his fantastic home and go to Jerusalem to make sure order is established there. To make sure they don't do something stupid. And he, everything about Pilate is trying to make sure that, you know, don't mess with me. Don't mess with the Roman government because we will kill you. We will take care of you. And in a time where 80 to 90% of all the Jews were what you would call subsistence farmers, in other words, they just made enough to sustain them for that day, uh, most of them were very intimidated by this government. So Pilate would come marching in from the west with his mighty Roman army. And they would come at this time. And if you're Pilate, think about this. You've got 200,000 Jews whom you're trying to keep peace amongst. And the reason they're there is they're celebrating the Passover. And we know from Exodus, this is what the Passover is about. It's a time where they come and celebrate God's deliverance of His people from a foreign oppressor. That's what they're celebrating. And Pilate's thinking, you've got to be careful here because you get 200,000 Jews and after they sing a bunch of songs, drink a lot of wine, read some scriptures celebrating deliverance, this could be trouble. So Pilate's right there. You see the Roman legions all around. In fact, he's at the Praetorium where Jesus was brought, in fact, uh, to be judged by Pilate. And it's right next to the temple. It's right there. Just so you know, Big Brother's watching you. If there are any problems, know that I will deal with it. See, Rome had an image just like the Jewish leaders had an image. They had one of might and of power. And when Pilate is marching in, what you would see is you would see the Roman eagle in the front. The Roman eagle, that sign of power, that sign of quickness. And they would have all the banners marching with the army. All the banners of the countries they had conquered. Of the divine names of the Caesars. Of all the mighty power that existed in the Roman army. And they would come marching in through the villages. The clanging of the swords and of the shields with the eagles and the full armament, the full garb. And as the people saw that, it was meant to strike fear in every heart. The message was, don't mess with us. This is the image. You know, Jesus makes a reference in uh, Matthew chapter 8. Uh, Jesus makes a reference that sometimes we miss in verse 19 and 20. This guy came up to him and said, uh, Jesus, I'd like to be one of your disciples. And he says this to him. He says, 
Well, foxes have holes. Birds have nests. You follow me, you might not have a place to lay your head. You follow the Son of Man, doesn't have a place to lay his head. And we go, well, that's interesting. I guess Jesus was homeless. And we just kind of move on. But, in fact, this was what was being said. If you'll remember, the Herodian, uh, the Herodian here, who were the, the Herods, who were uh, and kind of the, the vassal kings over Israel, uh, Jesus had referred to Herod as the fox, the foxes. And they had great palaces and great money, but they uh, didn't help the people. They were distanced from the people. He said, you know, foxes have holes. They, foxes, they have their palaces. They have their places. The birds, the eagles, have nests. This is what they call, they call a remez in Hebrew liturgy. It means there is, this is the hint of a deeper meaning. There's a deeper meaning in this quote I'm making to you. But the Son of Man hath no place to lay His head. You see, the world says, get a palace, get an army, get a lot of stuff, get a lot of money. That's what life's all about. That's what makes you something. But Jesus says, you see, I have a completely different way. My movement is not like Pilate's. It's not like the Jewish authorities. It's completely different. Let's turn to Luke chapter 19, verse 28. We know that Pilate has entered from the west. He has come into the city. He has set up station. It's been the talk of the week. But now we see Jesus entering from the east. In verse 28 of chapter 19 of the Gospel of Luke, after Jesus had said this, He went on ahead going to Jerusalem. As He approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of His disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Tell him, The Lord needs it. <coughs> Excuse me. Those who were sent ahead of him went and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the colt's owner said, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus through the cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down, the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And now we're fixing to see Zechariah 9.9 fulfilled. You know what Zechariah 9.9 says? That the Messiah will come. He will come in peace. He will come riding on a donkey. And the Jews, certainly who knew the law, knew that. And this is what the crowd begins to say in verse 38. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the heaven, at peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now, why did they say that? Well, we already know Pilate's there. He's looking for insurrection. We know that Caesar's not real big. He thinks he's king of king and lord of lords. And now the people are crying out as Jesus comes from the east riding on a donkey. Blessed is the king. There's the word you don't want to use right there. The king who comes in the name of the Lord. He's going to bring the peace. And the, and the Pharisees say, Rebuke him. If Pilate hears about this, he'll have us all killed. We'll be in big trouble. And what does Jesus say? Here's another part. Here's another remez he's done right here. 
Jesus says in verse 40, I tell you, He replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. The stones will cry out. Now, do you remember the debate between the Sadducees and the Pharisees and how Paul was able to get them all entangled with one another? Here's the difference. The Pharisees believe in something called the Great Resurrection. That when the Messiah comes, there will be a great resurrection. matter of fact, many of them believed that He would come in Jerusalem right here from the east. And this place, they're coming as Jesus is entering, it says He's coming down the hill. He's coming down the Mount of Olives. And there's an area right there called the Great Resurrection Cemetery. And many Jews would have themselves buried there because they believed when the Great Resurrection came, when the Messiah came, that they would be the first into the city because they were right there at the edge of the city. So it was a huge cemetery. Jesus, standing there, He tells them, here's a remez for you, it's more than a hint, if they don't say it, the rocks, those who have died, they will cry out. The Great Resurrection He lets them know there's no doubt. I am the Messiah. I am the one who was promised. And then Jesus goes on and He continues on and He shares of how they will miss it. The rest of that passage, if you read the rest of that passage, and He begins to weep and He says, you know what? He, He forecasts what will happen. He foretells what will happen in 70 A.D how the Roman government will come in and they will demolish the city of Jerusalem. They will take the temple of God and they will grind it into dust. Matter of fact, today, if you went to Rome, there is still a Roman ark. As a matter of fact, the ark of Titus, the Roman general Titus came in. And it shows how the Romans are carrying away the loot, how they're carrying away the possessions in the, the people of Israel. And Jesus sees that because... They are wanting someone to come from the west. Just as Pilate came with his mighty army, they are waiting for a Messiah who will do it that way, who will wipe these people out. And Jesus is saying, this is the Messiah. I am He. And I have a different way. I am coming to bring you life. But what I am going to ask for is your life. I am going to ask you to receive me, not just as your king, but as your savior. I will be your sacrifice. But because you don't see it, the city will be destroyed. Because you are so hell-bent and intent on having your own kingdom established, you're going to miss it. Your way is broad and it leads to destruction. My way is narrow. It is only through me. But it's only through Me you will know life. Your life will be stripped from you. It will be destroyed because you have missed the Messiah. What about you this morning? Have you missed the Messiah? Are you trying to get there your own way? Are you trying to enter heaven? Trying to enter in through the afterlife by your own power? By your own means of deliverance? through the image that you've been able to establish, through the promise that you've made? Are you receiving the promise of the risen Savior? The one who came from the east. See, there are two roads in life. We've got to choose. We come from the west in my own strength, in my own power, in my own way. I can do it. I don't need somebody else telling me what to do. 
or will we come the way of the cross? There's a city in Wisconsin. Uh, matter of fact, the city is called uh, Marshfield, Wisconsin. And uh, years ago, there was a six-foot uh, statue of Jesus that was don- donated to the city, and they put it in the park. Problem was, after it had been there a little while, uh, there, were, there was a guy who decided that he didn't want it there, and so he brought a suit against the city. And uh, he got a group called the Freedom from, from Religion Foundation to get with him, and they, they lobbied a suit against the city. And so the, what the city did, some of the people in the city, they got together and they purchased a piece of land there. And they purchased that piece of land from the city, and then they put the statue there. But it was still in the park. It was still in the city. And this group still wasn't satisfied, so it went to court. And first they were, uh, it was ruled against them, and they appealed. And finally, uh, they found a judge that handed it back down that said that you'll have to build a fence around that statue. Uh, you'll have to, uh, sort of, so to speak, segregate it. But, but the group still wasn't happy, and they're still going to court over it saying, uh, we want a brick wall that's at least nine feet high. And, the, and they were interviewing this guy. He said, so I don't have to see Jesus. When I come into town, I don't want to have to see this Jesus who has his hands open and says, I am the way. Isn't it interesting? It's the way we are today. We don't want to have to see Him. The Romans didn't want to have to see Him. The Jews didn't want to have to see Him. But yet He stood there saying, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by Me. What about a you this morning. Do you have a wall around your life? Have you built a wall? We all have. It's called sin. And it keeps us separated from God. We don't really see Christ. We don't really know Him because of that wall. But Jesus wants to obliterate that wall. He wants to invite you to come in and have a real and meaningful relationship with Him. He wants you to recognize that He is God and that He loves you. He wants to have fellowship. He wants to transform your life if you will accept the amazing grace that He is offering.